0: We've been taking a journey through the Book of Journeying. Numbers is how it's listed in the table of contents of your Bible. Uh, but I think I persuaded you that's not the original title. The title is taken from the first verse of the first chapter in Hebrew. It's Bemid Bar, which means in the wilderness. And that makes the whole book of Numbers, which might otherwise be too quickly dismissed. It's only being a book of numbers. It makes it all relevant because it's about... Our journey in the wilderness as well. See, here's what happened with ancient Israel. They had been liberated from bondage. They were delivered by a great deliverer mercifully simply because they cried out to him. He heard their prayer and he set them free from 400 plus years of enslavement. And he intended to bring them to a final destination, a land of promise. So here was their situation as recorded in the book of Numbers. They were no longer where they once were, but they had not yet arrived at the place where God intended them to be. So they were in betweeners. They were in the wilderness, and that's the original Hebrew title of the otherwise uh, entitled Book of Numbers. How did they do in their wilderness wanderings? What could we learn from them? Because we too are in-betweeners. We've been set free also from a very cruel taskmaster, bondage to sin. And the Lord Jesus, the one who liberated us, said, I've got plans and purposes for you, and I'm bringing you, too, to a land of promise. We call it heaven, but until you get there, uh, you're in the wilderness. I want you to move forward in the wilderness, but you'll be challenged in it nonetheless. And so this book is intensely relevant to us today. One of the things I think you will see tonight is that it would, it's not possible for this ragtab group of folks who were a newly constituted nation to make their way together through the wilderness unless their head, their God, their deliverer created in their midst a sense of order and organization. They could not traverse the challenges of the wilderness as a disorganized mob. They could not take possession of their land of promise. If it was every man for himself, they had to be unified and and harmonized, and coordinated, and ordered, and organized. And that's what you'll see tonight. It's Numbers chapter 2. And I won't read every verse, uh, but we'll we'll do a bit of a survey through it. Numbers chapter 2, look what it says. Verse 1, the Lord spoke. Thank him that he does. If he didn't, you'd be guessing about God, as would I. This would be terrible, frustrating to say the least. To know there is deity, the guide through life, but he remains in the shadows, gives us the silent treatment. Oh, no, he's the God of revelation. Look, look, look. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, the sons of Israel shall camp each by his own standard, a flag, if you will, and banner. Of their father's households. They shall camp around the tent of meeting. What's another name for the tent of meeting? Yeah, the tabernacle. The tabernacle. But at a distance. Why? The tabernacle was the symbol of the presence. The holy presence of almighty God. He was there. But be careful. Don't denigrate his holiness just because he's so close to you. Keep a healthy distance away from the tabernacle. Now, those who camp on the east side, east side of the tabernacle, toward the sunrise, they'll be of the camp of Judah. They'll do this by their armies. And they had a specific leader. His army numbered about 74,000. Those who camp next to him, a second tribe next to Judah, Issachar, they have a leader, and their army numbers 54,000 plus. Then comes a third, Zebulun. They had a leader. His army numbered 57,000. So that the total of these three tribes under Judah's banner on the east side of the encampment was 186,400 by their armies. And they were told to set out first. They're encamped right now. But when they set out, there was a marching order. They go first. So God gave this nation a set procedure of encampment and forward movement, both when you 're at rest, do it this way. when you move, do it this way, not ragtag, not every man for himself, not helter skelter. You will do it this way. This was a divinely decreed order of encampment and march and you 'll see for what reason in just a few moments and So here was the arrangement. You have four sides in camp around the tabernacle on each side, there were three tribes. Three times four, twelve tribes. And on each side, one of those tribes was the lead tribe. So on the east, Judah was the lead tribe. And the other two, Issachar and Zebulun, were aligned with Judah, but subordinate to the tribe of Judah. They were on the east. They will set out first. Now verse 10 speaks about those aligned on the south side. So first on the east, now on the south. It's the camp of Reuben they have a designated leader and an army numbering 46,500. Next, Simeon, and then after Simeon, the tribe of Gad. So that the total number uh, of uh, military men in these three tribes on the south side numbered 151,450, and they shall set out second. So when they are encamped, Judah is going to be on the east side. These guys are going to be on the south. When they march, Judah and the other two tribes with them go first. These guys go second. Can you see it? There's an order and an organization in camp and on the march. Now you have the third set of three spoken of soon. But first you have verse 17. And here we see mention of the tent of meeting, which you rightly identified as the tabernacle Portable shrine, temporary dwelling place, assembled, disassembled, carried, foreshadowing the more permanent temple, typifying the Lord Jesus who tabernacled amongst us. Here, the very visible, centrally located, holy symbol of the presence of Almighty God. The tent of meeting, the tabernacle shall set out with the camp of the Levites, specially designated tribe for special functions concerning the tabernacle. This shall be done in the midst of the camps, just as they camp, so they shall set out, every man in his place by their standard. A place for everyone and everyone in his place. You have two sets of three who take off, and then following them, the Levites carrying the tabernacle. Verse 18 we're on the west side. Here you'll find the standard of the camp of Ephraim by armies. His number, 40,500. Next to him, Manasseh, we say in Hebrew, or Manasseh, uh, is permissible as well. Manasseh, 32,000. Then the tribe of Benyomin, or Benjamin, 35,400, so that they total 108,100. And their order of march was third they shall set out first. And then finally on the north side, verse 25, is the camp of Dan and along with him, that of Asher and Naphtali, totaling 157,600. And they shall set out last by their standards, by their emblems, uh, by their uh, flags, if you will. And so this is the order. Verse 32 says they're numbered. These are the numbered men of the sons of Israel by fathers' households. The total, 603,550. However, the Levites, we spoke about them last week, were to remain unnumbered. That is to say for warfare because they had warfare of a different kind, spiritual warfare. They had to make sure the tabernacle precincts were treated just as they were, holy. They had to make sure people made no unholy approach to it. So that was their task. Now, verse 34, the sons of Israel did. Thus, the sons of Israel did. I can't tell you what those words mean to me because my people don't anymore. Thus, the sons of Israel did. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses. My people are adrift today. But here we're getting off to a good start. And so they camped by their standards and they set out everyone by his family according to his father's household. God commanded a specific order and organization. This was not by whim. Moses didn't come up with this. No, God did. He ordained it. He assigned everyone a place, a position, and a purpose while in camp and while on the march. And they got off to a grand start. I love these words. Thus, the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded. We stopped doing what the Lord commanded, and that's called the Middle East crisis. That's the answer. Okay, so they got off to a good start. They followed the Lord's the Lord's decree in terms of order and organization. But folks, do you see that the potential for trouble was really great? Breakdown was just on the horizon. You see, each was uh, mandated to position himself in a divinely designated spot. But what if you preferred someone else's spot? And that's how we are. And do you, do you notice do you do this? No, you do do this because we're all the same. We always compare up, not down. We never compare ourselves to someone who's lower down on the totem pole. Why don't I have his lower position? It's always, it's always up here. So, 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 so God put everyone in his or her place, but the potential for jealousy and divisiveness and resentment and bitterness and competition was, was really, really great. Notice for instance, verse nine. With regard to the camp of Judah, they shall set out first. Notice verse 16, camp of Reuben, they shall set out second. Notice verse 24, camp of Ephraim, they shall set out third. And notice verse 31, camp of Dan, they shall set out last. Wow, that's a formula for all kinds of jealousy and resentment and divisiveness and bitterness and sour grapes and comparison one to the other and all the rest. One tribe let out. Another was the last. They were the rear guard. And two others were sandwiched in the middle of the other two. But what if you wanted to be in the lead? The lead group and the last group in this formula were the largest total. And the two smaller totals were in between. The small guys, the big guys, the prominent people, the not-so-prominent people, the recognized ones, the not-so-recognized ones. Folks, the potential for jealousy and resentment, I think, was great. Note this. Reuben, one of the sons of Jacob, in fact, the eldest son, was not ordained to lead out first. Judah was given that responsibility. How's Reuben feeling? Whoa. What's wrong with me? Why him? I'm the oldest. Judah would sit out first, not Reuben. What potential for jealousy and resentment? But folks, for a people group in the wilderness, saying goodbye to bondage and enslavement in the old ways, looking forward to the best which is yet to come, their land of promise, there is no room for petty jealousies and competition and turf wars and carnal competition and comparisons. No way. There's no room for it. So it could really be a problem for them, making the journey quite a bumpy road. God gave these wilderness wanderers order and organization because without it, With each one doing what seemed right in his own mind, there would be chaos in the wilderness. The journey through the wilderness with all of its challenges could simply not be accomplished by a mob. They had to be organized, orderly. This in accordance with God's assigned places and purposes for each member. Do you know how important it is for you to beseech almighty God? To show you your place, position, and purpose in the body of Christ. For we too are a journeying people. It's essential that you beseech him to define your place and purpose and position in camp. And while we're on the march. Especially as we think about occupying the space in the back. This glorious new building which can only be completed by the grace of almighty God through his people. It is essential that before we get there, you know your place in the body of Christ because you are necessary in order for us to be an orderly, organized, fully complementary, complete people group meeting each other's needs and ministering effectively to those yet to come. Folks, there is a limit to what we can be and what we can do for the Lord. Without order and organization. And so everyone in numbers had a God given place and position and purpose and everyone was expected to find it, occupy it, value it, and stay in it. This order and organization would facilitate efficient forward movement. It would be good for the people, but it would also be good for those who were onlookers, not part of the nation of Israel at this point, but observing them. Think about this. Can you get this visual? You have about 2 to 3 million people. If you had 600 plus thousand fighting men, add in there women and children, and you got about 2.5 million people. They are making their way through the wilderness. That's a lot of people. And others who are not part are watching to see how they do it. And when they see them do it with harmony, with unity, when they see them do it with organization and order, can you imagine what a testimony it would be for them? Who are they? What is the name of their God who was able to cause such unity? In the midst of such diversity, how do they do this? Where did they get this plan? Who is their God? Who is their guide? Not only would they be attracted to it, they'd be intimidated by it. Good. They wouldn't mess with them. They would say, good night. We have never seen so many people act as one before. We cannot divide and conquer. We ought not even try. So order and organization is very, very, very important. Therefore, each member was called upon to find his particular banner, if you will, his particular station by application, his or her particular gift. What's your gift? What's your passion? What's your inclination? What turns you on? What can you not cease doing? What are you obligated to do? What gives you great satisfaction? What do people recognize you do well? What fruit is born? Get under your banner, find your banner. What was their place? They had to figure it out. On two planes, they had to find their place with regard to God and it was simple, he was in the center, hence the placement of the tabernacle. Not on the perimeter, not on the outskirts, not out of town, smack dab in the center. Everyone on an equal footing, regardless of your position in the camp and your place in the march, everyone had equal access to the tabernacle. The Lord Jesus is the great common denominator. There are different gifts manifested even in our church. Some put someone, uh, some of us on a platform. Others greet as they come in. Some have recognizable gifts. Others more subtle. So what? We don't compare, we don't value, we don't degrade, we don't rank some higher than others. We all have access to the tabernacle. He is the common denominator. So with reference to Almighty God, He must forever be the center. They must never get off center. And with regard to one another, they must honor and respect each other's divinely decreed position. They must support each other, encourage each other, pray for one another, not compete, not compare. No, no, no. Unacceptable for a people uh, on the move. They had much diversity for sure, but they had something in common. It was the tabernacle, it was the presence of God. I will be your God, said he, and you shall be my people. He didn't say that to anybody else. They had him, Elohim, in common. It didn't matter. Where else they differed? One has a passion for missions. One has a passion for worship. One has a passion for evangelism. One has a a passion for helps. Differences, differences. One is black. One is white. Many are Gentiles. One is a Jew. Some are old. Some are young. Some are single. Some are married. Some were raised in the church. Some are new. Diversity, diversity, diversity. Some are Democrats, some are Republicans. I love to stop right here. (laughs) Because all kinds of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Diversity, diversity. diversity. But we we don't align ourselves with reference to one another. See, the posturing in the camp was not with regard to others. The, The reference point was the tabernacle, not the guy next to me. Or the guy next to you? Why do you got a better position? Why do you go first? No, 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 no. Why am I wedged in the middle? What's the deal? No, no, no. The reference point was the tabernacle. The tabernacle. So the New Testament says, don't be so stupid. It actually says something similar. (laughs) Don't compare yourselves to one another say, oh God, thank you for what you put on my plate. Thank you. I'm grateful. I'll develop it. I'll guard it. I'll get better at it. I'll use it for your glory. What's on the other guy's plate? That's your business. Everyone has something on their plate. No room for competition. So everyone was positioned with regard to the centrality of the presence of God, a holy God, In their midst. Folks, it is hard to overestimate the trouble we get into in church because we position and measure ourselves with reference to other people in the church. We compare who's getting what. That root of bitterness will just choke, quench the very Holy Spirit in you. What's your banner? What's your flag? What's your place? What's your uh, position? Don't you have enough to guard it, protect it, stay in it, get better at it? Then worry about what other people are doing. The tabernacle was to be the focus, not others in the camp. He was their center. He was their head. They were each members, if you will, of his body. Ooh, I've heard of that before. Sounds like the church, members of the body. In fact... The Apostle Paul, when he was searching, I think, for analogy to describe, for words to metaphorically describe the church, made recourse to the physical body. Listen to what he said, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 18. For the body, physical, is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body, If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Just as he desired. And one of the members is a voice and praise with exuberance and expression of sincere emotion. Fantastic. And one is a little more uh, of an ear, a listener, an absorber of uh, communicated Bible truth. And one is a little more of the feet, can't wait. To be useful to God, to, to bring tidings of good joy, the gospel message. And one is a hand and can't wait to lend a I see Dr. Hastings, I think that's time. can't wait to lend a helping hand to those experiencing material and physical needs. And we resent each other at times because we don't share passion for each other's passions. We're different. We're diverse. Thank God. We're not all a hand, not all an ear. Do you know even your hands are different? Your right and left hand are—they—they they don't even have much in common. But thank God for the diversity of it all, which makes the physical body function at a higher level. Do you know what every part of your physical body has in common? You. Every part of you, every member of your physical body has you in common. And do you know what every part of the body of Christ has in common? Christ. You see? He's our referent. He's our reference point. Everyone has a place. Nobody is without value. Everyone is necessary. Everyone has a contribution to make. We're different. There's diversity in the body of Christ, just as there is in the physical body. This has potential to cause great problems. And therefore, it's essential that we don't lose sight of our center. Christ is our center. Christ is our center. We are members, each of his body. God did not make us identical at our first birth, and he did not make us identical at our new birth. We remain quite different, quite diverse. That's good. Yet united. At the same time. Diversity of gifts, of talents, of passions, of personalities, of places, of purposes, all pose a great challenge. And I'll tell you how some churches deal with the challenge. They choose uniformity over diversity. And so they say everyone who comes here must dress as the rest of us do. Everyone who comes here must worship as the rest of us do. <laughs> Everyone who comes here must act like the rest of us do. Walk like the rest of us do. Talk like the rest of us do. Think like the rest of us do. Diversity will not be tolerated here. And that's how we keep our uniformity. You know what happens to organizations like that? They die. You know where they die? There's not enough complementarity to help each other out. They're all weak the same way. They're all strong the same way. (laughs) They can't confront the world's new challenges... Because there's no one bringing anything new to the table. They don't know how to reach the people out there because they don't allow any of them in here to tell them how to reach the people out there. They just want to do it the way they used to do it. Uniformity will be the death of the body. If your body was made all of the same organs, you're dying here pretty soon. Please wait till we finish because it'd be... Such a mess. So to the church, they die. They die because their solution to the challenge of diversity is to stamp it out, <laughs> force it underground. They opt for uniformity instead of diversity. That's that's not good. Paul cautions us against such errors by reminding us that the body is not made up of one part but of many each with a significant role to perform and play, so too in church. Now, folks, you, uniquely you, are either necessary, really, really necessary to the growth of the body of Christ or the Holy Spirit made a big mistake in making you the way he did. So the next time you start feeling... I'm underappreciated, undervalued. I'm not a contributor. I'm excess personnel. I'm not necessary to the cause. The next time you think that, you should have a discussion with Almighty God. Because if all that is true, he made a big mistake in making you, you. If you, uniquely you, do not see yourself with the potential to contribute to the betterment of the body, the whole, the organization called the church, then the Holy Spirit really made a big mistake in <laughs> making you have the personality you have, the temperament you have, the gifts you have, the interests you have, the inclinations. <laughs> you, I mean, if, if there's no place for you, then I suppose God made a big mistake in making you you. That can't be right, can it? That can't be right. So I beseech you. Beseech God. Oh, God, what is my place? Help me to identify it. Recognize it. Value it. Thank you for it. Occupy it. Stay in it. Yeah. It's not a matter of moving up. (laughs) It's a matter of staying in the place God has given you. That's the place of satisfaction. That's the place of fruitfulness. Folks, the plan God gave ancient Israel is the plan for our church today. It's, uh, I think, summed up for us in verse 17, with which we close. Just as they camp, so they shall set out every man in his place by his standards, (laughs) by his flag. Just as they camp, so they shall set out, every person in his or her place, according to God's design. It must be very, very unsatisfying, and I could relate. There have been these seasons in my own life where you don't know where you fit, and you feel like you're just spinning your wheels. It's very unsatisfying, and you yearn to have the matter settled. Uh, We could help you here at the church. I want to invite you to think of contacting the Membership Involvement Office because they could tell you, Membership Involvement Office, that's Emery Gadd and his wonderful assistant, Rose Ehrlich. They could help you. They have some resources to help you define uh, God's design of you. And thereby, you can make a better decision about about where you you may fit in the body of Christ in terms of ministry and service of a satisfying kind. And then I want to mention one other thing before we pray. Um, I think one of the greatest gifts God gives is the sense of purpose and usefulness. We need it, every one of us. A sense of usefulness and and purpose. I must tell you, it's not possible to find that apart from a personal relationship with the giver of life. So for you, and I mean no harm, for you, nothing I shared applies. For you, you got to start at the starting point. For you, it's not finding your church. And finding your place of ministry in the church, oh, no, you skipped over something vital. For you, the starting point is the one who is the head of the church. For for you, the starting point is the Savior who saves us from sin. There's a penalty for it. And then on top of it, he adopts us and puts us in his family so that we could be saved from aimless wilderness wandering. Perhaps your life has been characterized by aimless wilderness wandering. Many here can relate to that. But it doesn't start with church. Oh, no, 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 no. It starts with the Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And He came, you see, to join the journey with us so as to lead us. And so the first step in, in, in the journey <laughs> is to meet up with the guide of life who happens to be the creator of life, the Lord Jesus. And what has happened, this is a very interesting thing. Your human nature and mine have been the very thing that have separated us from him. Because your nature and mine is characterized by ungodliness or sin. The Bible calls it sin. Sin. Anything God would not do. See, we have that in common, don't we? We're ungodly. It's our inclination. And it's kind of like oil and water with God. That kind of sin can't mix with God's kind of holiness. What are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. We're without hope. So he did something. He extended himself to us because we couldn't extend high enough up to him. He came down. He stooped. (laughs) Though God, he became man. It's the Christmas event. Soon we'll celebrate, but you can make it meaningful tonight. So this Jesus, who always was, came into being and fleshed. Flesh like yours, like mine. Which means he experienced the throes of life, just like you and me. He experienced hunger and thirst and fatigue and rejection and all the rest. And yet he did it all without sin. Now that's what separates him from us. You do life with sin. Me too. He did it without sin. So he, the perfect one, became and fleshed to guide imperfect ones, you and I, through life, on into our land of promise. It's called heaven. But here's the thing he does. With all of his forcefulness and power, And after all, he spoke the world into existence by saying, let there be just like he's powerful. Yet he's restrained in the application of it and therefore will not impose himself upon us. And so he says, I will, if you will, I will be your savior. If you will let me. Isn't that something? I will, if you will. So that puts it on you now, huh? That puts it on you. So he did everything that had to be done in order for you to be saved. He said, I will save you if you will let me. So That's the starting point with you. If you've not ever made that decision. It's a decision to say, Lord Jesus, be my savior. I will let you save me and I need to be saved. I'm an ungodly one. I don't go in your direction. I go in a different direction. I'm not God word. I'm sinful. I believe you suffered and died for me in my place for my sin. Come into my life. I want you to forgive me. And what's more, I want you to embrace me thereafter. Take me on this wonderful adventure. Take me through the wilderness until I get to my final destination, a land of promise called heaven. As powerful as he is, <laughs> you can keep the door to your life shut tight so that he can't get in. Isn't that something? Zeke, what did you tell me earlier? We have a, our heart is like a door with a, the knob on the inside. Is that how you put it, brother? That was so good. See, it has to be opened open by the person. In the next few moments, uh, we're going to take leave of one another and invite you. In fact, let's stand together now uh, as we prepare to do this. Um, I'll pray for us in just a second, but I want to announce to you in advance uh, that we would love to be available to chat with you about how you could say, yes, Lord Jesus, be my Savior, or yes, Lord Jesus, you're my Savior. Now, would you please define for me your specific area of service. We would love to pray for you. And we do it uh, beyond that wall in a room called the Connection Center. It's all about connecting. Connecting maybe with a place of service for you. Connecting perhaps for the first time uh, with the Lord Jesus as your personal savior. And we're going to have some people there ready to meet you. And you can bring up in any way you want to, whatever's on your mind. We would love to sort of enter into partnership with you and pray with you and help you a little bit with regard to whatever issue you bring up. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for letting us be here together tonight from different places, not just geographic, but in life. We're all coming from different places. Um, wouldn't it be great though there be such differences represented in this place if we all had you in common? Wouldn't that be wonderful? The tabernacle, the Lord Jesus in the central place of our lives. That requires you, Lord Jesus, to influence those who still yet do not know you. I don't know how you do it, but it's required that you do. Would you, please, would you please, in the power of your spirit, stir up the hearts and minds of those even here tonight who are at this point disconnected from you, but feel so sufficiently disturbed about it that they want to find out how to establish a connection with you, a Savior, a guide, an Abba Father. Lord Jesus, in the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray you do it, moving these even into conversation with us, with the end that they would be moved into forever fellowship with you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.